All right, good morning, everyone. We're in the second week of this series that we called The Gift, and it's based on Luke 1 and 2. We're just looking at two chapters, actually a chapter and a half this Advent season. And last week, we looked at the story of uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and we talked about the gift of preparing. And, and here's what we meant when we were talking about that last week. We talked about how sometimes when we feel like we're in a season of abandonment, like when we feel like uh, God is not listening to our prayers, that God is a million miles away, that God is not in tune with what is going on, that actually it is often a season of preparation, that God is preparing us for what's next. And we asked the question last week, like how can God use this Advent season to prepare you? How can God use the things that are happening around this place and some amazing stuff's happening in terms of worship and gatherings and, and uh, opportunities to serve and community and all of that? Like, how can God use that? But how can God use just the time that you spend with God? How can God use that to prepare you for Christmas, to prepare you for the celebration of the incarnation, to prepare you for whatever is next in your life, whatever that is. And you may have a good sense of what that is, or you may, uh, as it turns out in 2022, have no sense of what that is, but how can God prepare you for what's next in your life? Like, where do you need to slow down and experience some silence in your life so that you can prepare the way for the Lord? Where do you need to let go of something? What do you need to repent of? That was the stuff that we talked about last week. This week, we're looking at the event that takes place five months after that event, five months after Elizabeth and Zachariah find out they're preg pregnant. It's called, um, in theological terms, it's generally referred to as the Annunciation. It, it is the announcement. It's the announcement. And it's the biggest announcement, the greatest announcement in the history of the world. But for the one who received it, this announcement actually represented a shattering of all of her dreams. Here's how Luke describes it, starting in verse 26, chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found, angels must have really been scary because every time people saw them, they freaked out and the angel had to say, don't be afraid. And this is what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, his kingdom, unlike the Babylonian kingdom, unlike the Persian kingdom, unlike the Roman kingdom that is there suffering under the occupation of his kingdom, his kingdom will never end. Now, like I said before, this is the greatest announcement, I think it's fair to say, like we have some awesome announcements here, but this is like the greatest announcement in the history of the world. It's the announcement that God is sending a son, his son, a savior into the world. 
and a savior, a Messiah, not just for the people of Israel, a Messiah, a savior for the whole world. And this savior is gonna establish a kingdom. And this won't be a kingdom like all the other kingdoms that rise to power and then eventually fall from power. And that's the history of every kingdom in the history of the world, is that they rise to power, they think they will never lose power, and then they eventually lose power. And you would think, after thousands of years of history, that when we look at human kingdoms, we would all kind of quickly acknowledge this. This is not going to last forever. But you know, we still get sucked up into that lie that these earthly kingdoms, somehow this one is different. Somehow this earthly kingdom is gonna last forever. But he says, no, no, no. This savior, this king that is coming, this savior that you're gonna give birth to, he's gonna establish a kingdom that will never, ever, ever end. And Mary, who is the one who's been chosen by God to give birth to this king. Um, and from the perspective, like our perspective, 2,000 years later, later, looking back on this story, this story that for many of us we've heard over and over and over again, this seems like a dream come true for Mary, right? You're going to be the mother of the king of a kingdom that will never end. You would think like this is a dream come true, but actually in that moment, it's just the opposite. We don't know for sure what all the dreams were that Mary had for her life, but uh, there's no doubt that this was not one of them, that in this moment, this announcement shattered all of those dreams, everything that she thought her life was gonna be about, the way that she thought she would live her life, how it would go, all that, all of those dreams, all of those dreams are shattered in this moment. This announcement turned her life upside down and inside out. Now, in one way, Mary's experience at the Annunciation, the announcement, is totally and completely unique, right? Like there's only been one time in history that an angel, uh, one time in the history of the world that an angel of the Lord has appeared to someone and said, you're going to give birth to the savior of the world. Never happened before, will never happen again. But in other ways, what Mary experienced is something all of us experience. Like all of us have experienced some shattered dreams. All of us have experienced some things where life doesn't work out exactly the way that we thought that it would work out, the, the way we dreamed that it would work out. Someone close to you dies unexpectedly that you thought you, know, you would spend, have, have way more time with, and then they die unexpectedly. A relationship you thought would last a lifetime doesn't last a lifetime. The dreams you had for your family don't quite match with Reality, the things that you dreamed when you were younger haven't quite turned out the way that you imagined perhaps that they would turn out. You're still looking for that dream job, that dream home, that dream relationship, whatever it is. Whatever the dream, Mary's response to this unexpected announcement is incredibly helpful in us dealing with our own Unmet expectations, our own shattered dreams. And Mary's response involves four things. I just wanna unpack that today. <clears throat> First, she responds with serious reflection. When the angel tells Mary that she is highly favored, which is this 
amazing thing for an angel to say, you, Mary, are highly, there's a little teenage girl that has no you know, kind of power and leverage and influence and all that, and an angel of God comes here and says, you are highly favored. Mary's initial response is not, oh, I'm highly favored. Like, what an honor, an angel of the Lord. God has sent an angel to me, and that's awesome, and that's so cool. No, Mary, Mary's initial response is this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So Mary's trying to figure out like what in the world is going on here? She's trying to get her head around all of this. She's wondering, is this really happening to me? Is this all a dream? Am I hallucinating this? Am I just imagining all this? Am I seeing things that aren't really there? Like what is really going on? And that's an appropriate response, right? When things don't go the way we thought they were going to go, like it's important to, to take a minute, to take a breath to take a moment and, and do a little serious reflection, to try to understand what it is that's going on, to think about that. Sometimes when stuff happens to us that, that we don't see coming, things that surprise us, things that catch us off guard, whatever, our tendency is to jump to conclusions and try to immediately put this into some kind of nice, neat category. Like, this is from the devil, this is from Satan, or this is from God, or this happened because of this person, or because of this group, or because of this set of circumstances, or, and we think if we can just put it into some kind of category, if we can, if we can take this thing that came that's a surprise to us, that maybe shattered some of our dreams, that maybe it's not what we thought life would be or what we'd be experiencing at this point, if we can somehow tie it into this nice little bow and put it in this nice, neat category that then it'll just be kind of easier to handle it. But most of the time, at least with me, I don't know with you, but I think probably with you as well, most of the time, our first inclination is wrong. Like most of the time, what's going on is usually way more complex than we initially thought, way more layered than we originally thought, way more nuanced than we originally thought. You know, sometimes you'll experience something, you kind of have it all tied up and you want to talk to someone or whatever and say, yeah, I've kind of figured out here's what's going on. And then you, you start unpacking it and the onion starts to get kind of peeled away and you realize, oh, this is way more complex than I initially thought. This is way more layered than I initially thought. This is way more nuanced than I originally thought. So Mary's response is not, oh, this must be from the Lord. Mary's first response is wonder. That's what the text says is that this angel comes to him and says, you are highly favored and tell us all this stuff. And Mary begins to wonder, not wander off, wonder what in the world is going on. Her first response is to do some serious reflection and try to get her head around what is really happening. And that should be our first response. When dreams get shattered when things don't go the way that we thought that they would go, to take some time to reflect, to take some time, to take a breath, to take a moment, to take a minute to wonder. 
Second thing Mary does is this, is she asks honest questions. Now you're gonna be fascinated with this if you were here last week and we talked about the question that Zachariah asked and the response of the angel to him because it's very, very different in this text. So when the angel tells Mary that she's gonna get pregnant, give birth to a son, Mary's next response is this, how will this be? It's a question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. Can I get an amen for that? For nothing is impossible with God. Now, some of you who were here last week, you're thinking, wait a minute, is there some gender bias going on here? Is there, is there what's going on here? The different way that Zacharias responded to ask this question, Mary's responded, because some of you are saying Zachariah asked basically the same question of the angel that Mary asked of the angel. Zachariah, if you remember, asked, like, how is my wife going to get pregnant given the fact that we are so advanced in years? Like we're way, way too old to have a baby, have a baby. And Zechariah, as you remember last week, gets the longest time out in the history of the world. Like nine months, he cannot talk until John, his son, is born. So that's the response to the question that Zechariah asked. But Mary, Mary asked, in essence, a kind of a similar question, and Mary doesn't get a timeout. Mary doesn't get told you're not gonna be able to talk for a while. Mary doesn't get chastised. Mary gets an answer. Like the angel, she asks this question, and the angel says, let me tell you exactly how this is going to work. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. God is at work in ways that you cannot even imagine. So what's the difference? The difference is that there are different ways to ask a question. Like there's asking a question where you're really not looking for an answer because you've already kind of made up your mind concerning what the answer is. And that's kind of what Zachariah was doing. Zachariah Remember, Zechariah had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that Elizabeth, his wife, would get pregnant, and he was still praying, 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 praying. But now that he and Elizabeth are up in years, in his heart, he's actually not sure that's something that God can do. And that's why when the angel tells him that he and Elizabeth are gonna have a baby, so again, you're praying, 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 praying for this to happen. Then an angel comes to you and goes, the thing that you've been praying for, it's going to happen. Like you've been praying for this your whole life, now it's gonna happen. But as the angel comes and tells him that, like he questions at this moment, after he's prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, he questions how that's even possible. Now think about this. If you're praying for God to do something, and then God somehow communicates to you that he's going to do it, and you question that that's even possible, then you're really not looking for, your question is not looking for genuine answers. Something else is going on. And that's not what's happening with Mary. Like she's, 
She's not been praying. This is like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God, give us a baby, give us a baby, give us a baby. Then God says, I'm gonna do it. And he goes, mm, I'm not so sure you can. But it, like Mary's not been praying for this. Mary has not been praying to be the mother of the savior of the world. That's the last thing that she expected to happen. So her question is not filled with skepticism about the capacity of God to do something. It's an honest question. She's just trying to understand what is going on here and how is all of this going to work. There's a cynical way of asking questions that's not really interested in finding answers because you've already convinced yourself that you have all the answers. Like I've, I've had conversations with folks who have asked lots of questions, but you could tell they'd already come to a conclusion about what the answers were. Like the questions were asked in kind of a cynical kind of fashion. They're not looking for answers. They pretty much have become convinced they know the answers, but, but they're asking the questions. So there's that way to ask questions. And then there is an honest way of asking questions that's marked by courage and marked by humility. Like it takes courage to ask an honest question. It does take a lot of courage to ask a skeptical question because you kind of figured out you already know the answer. But it takes courage to ask honest questions. It takes courage to ask like, where is God in all of this? And how can God be at work in this? And how can God use this in some way? Because it means you're open to an answer. You're open to finding an answer. And that's the kind of honest question that Mary is asking. And those are the type of honest questions that we should ask when dreams are shattered and life gets turned upside down, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we miss out on some of the most important things that God wants to say to us because we stop asking questions or our questions become cynical. But when we continue to ask honest questions, when we continue to be open to finding the answers, when we really are seeking, when we really are searching, God can do some amazing, amazing things. Third thing is this. Mary, um, Mary pursues authentic community in the midst of all of this. One of the things that we sometimes miss in this story is the important role that community plays. In verse 46 of chapter one and following, um, which is uh, the part we're gonna look at next week, Mary breaks into this glorious song uh, about what is happening to her and what it means. It's this glory, we'll kind of unpack the song next week. It's this glorious song that she, she breaks into. But here's the deal, she doesn't break into song before she processes all of this with someone else. In this case, it's her relative Elizabeth, who is also uh, pregnant, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and, and the result. And so Mary goes to where Elizabeth lives. It's a long journey, but it's worth the journey, apparently, to Mary because she's got to talk to someone about this. 
Like she cannot keep this to herself. She cannot just try to spin on this in her own head. She cannot just try to figure this out on her own. She needs some community. She needs to process this with someone. She needs to talk to someone about this. And the result of processing all this with Elizabeth gives Mary a whole new perspective on what's really going on. Look at verse 39 and following. At that time, Mary got ready. She's gotten this upside down announcement and news and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb that she was carrying. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what she now is about to say is a response of God's Holy Spirit being at work in her life. You know, um, we talk sometimes about, um, you know, a, a word of knowledge, a word of insight, whatever it is. And some of us come from different kinds of theological backgrounds where that language is like used all the time. And others come from backgrounds where that language is not used all the time. But here's the deal. God's Holy Spirit is real. And God's Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And God's Holy Spirit can, can give us insights and, and thoughts that, that, that not only help us, but help the body of Christ. And that's what's going on here with Elizabeth. Is now she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed are you. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored, Elizabeth is asking, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound, that's a declaration that this is God. This is the, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is the, the, this is the Savior, the Messiah of the world. This is God that she is carrying. Why am, why, how am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, blessed is she who has believed that, that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So one of the things that Elizabeth says to Mary is Mary is like her, her, uh, her life is turned upside down. Uh, all the dreams that she had for like how life was going to go and all that, those have been shattered. She's had this amazing announcement that she's trying to figure out like what it's all about, all of that. And at kind of the most vulnerable time in her life, the time in her life where she probably has the most questions, wondering what's going on, how is God at work, all of that, Elizabeth says to her, did you know you are blessed? You are blessed. In fact, she says it twice just to kind of reinforce it. You are, Mary, you are blessed. Now, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, to be blessed is to be brought to full shalom. To be blessed is to be brought to full human functioning, right? In other words, to be blessed is to fully become the person that God intended you to be. To fully become the person that God created you to be. So what Elizabeth is telling Mary is that God is going to take her shattered dreams and replace them with new dreams that allows her to live the life that God created her to live. And that's the gift. You know, the title of the sermon is the gift of shattered dreams. And you go, well, what's, how are shattered dreams a gift? That's the gift 
of shattered dreams. When we are willing to lay them down and turn them over to God, it gives us this new sense of self, this new identity, this new realization of who we are and and how we play into God's mission to redeem and restore the world. Because our identity, think about this, our identity gets all wrapped up in our dreams, right? Like whatever those dreams are, those have to be bad dreams. It just gets all wrapped up in our dreams. Like I'm the person, I'm the person who's gonna do this. I'm the person who's going to accomplish this. I'm the person who's gonna take this hill. I, I'm, I'm the person who has this kind of life, who li- whose life goes this way, like that's who I am. I'm that person. And when life doesn't go that way, we often lose our sense of self, our sense of identity. But when we lay down those shattered dreams and embrace the new dream that God has for us, it gives us a new sense of self, a new identity, a new purpose. And what helped Mary to understand this is the time that she spent in community with Elizabeth. Again, she doesn't sing this song this amazing song about everything that God is doing until after she's had this experience of community with Elizabeth where Elizabeth said, hey, let me tell you what's going on. You are blessed. You probably don't feel blessed right now. You probably are asking a lot of questions. You're probably going, this is not the way I saw my life going, but you, Mary, are blessed. It's the community that led to that. Oftentimes, when dreams get shattered or life doesn't go the way that we thought it was gonna go or we get surprise news or whatever it is, a lot of times our tendency is to isolate. But that's the last thing we need. Like what we need is a support group or a community group that can process this stuff with us. What we need is a counselor that we can talk to and can give us some perspective on what we are going through. In short, what we need is community. Before Mary is able to sing about everything that's happened to her, she needed community. First came community and then came the song. And the same is true for us. No one can sing without community. No one can truly get a perspective on what they're going through without community. Without community, you will spin and spin and spin and spin on whatever it is that you are dealing with and end up getting nowhere. But if you want to sing again, seek out community. Community that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Community that is in touch with God's Spirit at work in their lives. Seek out Community. Some of you are in the middle of some upside down times right now, some shattered dreams times, dream times. Uh, Christmas kind of brings that to the surface. And the tendency, the tendency, the tendency is to isolate. And you need exactly the opposite. What you need is community because it's community that leads to the song. And then after all of this, Mary's final response to what's going on 
is this. It's sincere surrender. Look at verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, she says to the angel, may it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Sometimes, uh, and I think this is especially true maybe in a place like uh, Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia and kind of a lot of go-getters and driven people and all of that. And our church is filled with all of those and it's awesome. And I feel like I probably fall in that category as well and all that. But sometimes we do this kind of cost-benefit analysis, like we're all into cost-benefit analysis, right? Some of you, that's like how you make your money is doing cost-benefit analysis. And sometimes you do this kind of cost-benefit analysis of like what it means to follow Jesus. Like we try to calculate what we will have to give up, what we will have to turn away from, what we will have to lay down in order to follow Jesus. I see it all the time. I see folks all the time they are like struggling and uh, with really kind of surrendering their life to Jesus and and, uh, and you know, you kind of dig into that and, and, uh, and sometimes maybe there's some questions of uh, like, you know, how can there be a good God in a world that is so evil and all that? But sometimes you can tell what's happening is that there's just kind of this cost benefit that's going on in their mind. It's just kind of like, well, if I really, really, really kind of follow Jesus, if I go all in, if I do more than just kind of show up at church and maybe do a few things that look religious and all that, like if I really am all in for Jesus, like what will that mean? <laughs> like what does that mean that, what does that mean about uh, how I steward my gifts? What does it mean about how I steward my resources? What does it mean by how I steward uh, my relationships? Like what does that mean? Like how, like what will that mean to really kind of totally and completely surrender to God? So we do this kind of cost-benefit analysis. And basically, it, which is really kind of cool, because I, I, I tend to do this at times. I've done this in my life. There's been seasons in my life where I think I've done this. But basically, it's an attempt to surrender our lives to Jesus and somehow manage to still be in charge. Like, like that's what it is. Like, it's like, how can I totally and completely surrender to Jesus and still be in control? Like, how can I totally and completely surrender to Jesus and still somehow manage to be in charge? But sincere surrender is more than that. Sincere surrender is saying, I'm still not sure where all of this is going and maybe how all of this is going to play out, but I'm going to follow. Sincere surrender is being able to say what Mary says. I'm the Lord's servant's. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, God, may it be to me as you have said. There's nothing that reflects a life of surrender more than that. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, God, as you have said. As you have said in your word, as you have said in the sacredness of the biblical text, as you have said through the working of your Holy Spirit, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now the reason that scattered dreams are so scary is because they force us to acknowledge that we're not in charge. They force us to lay something down 
so we can pick something better up. And that can be scary. Because the dream that God, like whatever our journey in life and in whatever ways that we've experienced failure or shattered dreams or whatever it is, God always has a new dream for us. Like God never stops dreaming about what it means for you and for me at this moment and season of our life to live out his purpose in our life. He's always calling us to to take up a new dream, a better dream. And the thing that is scary about that is that even though God's dreams are always better, always, always, always better, is that they're not always, always, always easy. Think about it. For Mary, that new dream that she picked up as she laid down these other dreams she had for her life, that new dream involved being gossiped about and having her morality questioned. That new dream involved watching her son maligned, misunderstood, and marginalized. That new dream involved having people turn their back on him and betray him. People that he trusted. People that he had given his ministry and life to to have them turn their backs and betray him. That new dream involved watching him being beaten and scorned and enduring an excruciatingly painful death. These new dreams that God has for us, dreams that are often the result of our own shattered dreams are are not always easy. But just like with Mary, they are dreams that God can use to change us and to transform us and to bring good news, good news to the world. Remember, that's what the angel said to Mary. All this is gonna happen All of this stuff that I know you didn't see being a part of your life, this new dream that God has for you. And the result of this is that the gospel, the gospel will be known. Good news will be announced to the world. So let me ask you another question this Advent season. What are the dreams that you need to lay down or let go of or release in some way so that you can pick up the new dream that God has for your life? And for some of you, I mean, this is the essence of the gospel, right? For some of you, the dream that you're needing to lay down is the dream that somehow you can save yourself. That somehow 
can live life in a way that you don't need a rescue or you don't need a savior. You can do the right thing, be religious enough, whatever it is that you, like that's your dream, that I can, I can manage all of this and, and somehow not need a savior. And God is saying, you need to lay that down. And pick up a new dream of a God who has loved you so much that he died for you on the cross so that you could experience everlasting life. You could experience eternal life. Or maybe the dream that you need to lay down right now is that somehow you got this. I got this. I can manage this. I can deal with this. I can handle this. I can navigate this. I got this. And the dream that God wants you to pick up is the dream of saying, no, 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 you don't got this, I've got this. And I have a dream for you of dependency upon me and surrender to me and trust in me that I'll be your provider and I'll be your restorer and I'll be your redeemer. Like where in your life right now, Advent season 2021, do you need to join with Mary and say, I am the Lord's servant. God, may it be to me as you have said. God, thank you. As we read through the stories of all of scripture, but particularly as we look at the stories of Advent, the stories of the incarnation, we are reminded once again of who we are and who you are. And Lord, may we be willing, whatever it is that we are needing to lay down, whatever dreams it is that we are needing to let go of, may we have the courage and the humility to do it and to pick up the dream that you have for us. We pray this in the powerful and precious name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand together.